It was 1986, December, when uh, I went to the greatest concerts I've ever gone to, probably the greatest, it lives on in my memory as such. The, the only time I was able to see Journey with their, their primo lineup with Steve Perry, it was fantastic. It was, you know, of course, you, you know, by now it's, they're my favorite band, but they were from, from the beginning, really, of, of listening to music. And uh, I still remember that night, Veterans Memorial Coliseum. It was the first of two shows, and uh, uh, I was kind of up in the nosebleeds. But what's interesting about the memory is that I can't remember a lot of, like, details. So it kind of exists in almost in 2D, and it doesn't really exist in 3D, but it exists um, in my memory as this sort of just wonderful pinnacle event of my childhood, and or adolescence, I guess. Just a fantastic memory. And what's interesting about memories is that they tend to become more 2D over time as opposed to 3D. In other words, we, we frequently sort of forget the details you know, we remember some of it, but we remember more how we felt or the image of it. You know, I can still see the stage and I can still kind of replay um, uh, some, of, some of it, but, but most of it is just sort of locked in, in memory almost as a frozen moment. This is how a lot of the scriptures end up being with us as well. You know, that's not just, you know, 30 years, that's 2,000 years. Whenever I think of the Annunciation, I think of uh, da Vinci's painting, you know, the Renaissance painting, which is just sort of, everything's perfect and in, really in 2D, um, the angel and, and Mary. Um, we think of the nativity, and even though we, we have nativity sets which are in 3D, they tend to exist as sort of a, a picture, something that's difficult to enter into, like an image. You, you understand my point. What happens is that when we look back on these events, because there's so much in our consciousness, you know, we can get an image. You think of the nativity and you get an image. The Annunciation, you kind of get an image. But it, it's kind of become focused or becomes focused in, in religion it becomes focused on sort of the divine elements or its divine aspect. You know, Mary, Mary and the angel, and she says, yes, and what a wonderful moment that was, or the, you know, the stable and, and uh, the manger scene, et cetera, and this, this beautiful, peaceful image that we have. What happens is we lose the, hum the humanity, I think. The humanity is harder to grasp what tends to live on is those divine elements, which is okay, but we also lose a lot of the, I think the meaning, the real rigor of what happened. So let's, let's reflect on that a little bit. So here we have the Annunciation, Gabriel announcing to Mary that God would like to bring forth his son in her, through her, in her and through her. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, this would be made manifest, that this would happen. Now, Mary was already engaged. She was betrothed to Joseph. She would have been 14 or 15 years old. 
so she would have been of age, right? It was very common to, to get married at that young, really until recent times, but it was very common at that time to, to be married and, and to even have children at that age. Um, so that was not, that she was engaged was not a big deal. That was, that was very common. Um, but you can imagine that her and Joseph, you know, truly cared about each other and they probably had plans. I mean, they grew up in families and they had an idea of what their marriage would be like and that they would have children and that, you know, and Joseph would be teaching you know, little carpenters and, you know, all the rest, right? I mean, you just, that's what couples do. They, they do it to this day. You, you get engaged and you start talking about your family and how many kids and what it's going to be like and the careers and everything else. That's what you do. And no doubt, Mary and Joseph would have had a similar experience. So when this angel comes to Mary, I mean, he really, God really ruins their plan. The plan that they had for marriage and family, well, I'm sure it had to be. They weren't just like waiting for God to tell them. They were doing what people do. They were making plans. And then the angel shows up and says, well, your best laid plans have just changed. God has an idea. God has an ask. He has a favor. And he has blessed you. And giving you grace. And Mary right away is thinking, hail full of grace. What kind of greeting is this? Even she, again, we think of her as, you know, as we think of her. But as a, as a 15-year-old girl, she's, she's thinking, hail full of grace. What does that mean? Who, what? What's going on? What's happening? And then Gabriel delivers this news. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. The power of the Most High will come upon you and you will bear a son by God's power, not through Joseph, but as a virgin. What? I mean, there's no way she was ready for that. That's a heavy, heavy thing. Okay, so what you're telling me is, even though I'm engaged to a man, I'm going to be, become pregnant, not with a man, but by God's power. And I'm going, to go have, I'm going to have to go and tell my man that this happened and this is your plan. And then what if he says no? So it's one thing if Mary says yes, but what if Joseph says no, right? So imagine the weight that comes upon Mary. I mean, he could reject her. Joseph could reject her. Joseph could, could say, well, we're not going to get married, which in fact he did or that was his plan, maybe he didn't tell her. But imagine that awkward conversation between Mary and Joseph. And we can look at it and it can be a little humorous, but if you, if you drill down to the humanity of it, it was tragic. It had to be emotional. Joseph, I have this news to tell you. And Mary, yes, born without original sin, and so she is full of grace, she could probably handle the news a little bit better than Joseph, but he was just a guy. There is no evidence he's anything but a guy. He's a regular Deacon Richard, <laughs> right? Or father, he's just a guy like any of the, these guys. He's just a guy like you. And he hears this news and, you know, he's thinking, wow, oh, gosh, I mean, I love her, but 
this is too much. It's too much. That's what he said. He came to the conclusion it was too much. He had his plans. He knew what he wanted. And as much as he loved Mary, it was too much of an ask for him. And so he was going to divorce her quietly. Now, in doing so, in divorcing her and breaking off the engagement, um, in doing so, we're told so as not to expose her to shame. Well, really, it would be exposing him to shame. Like, if he divorces her quietly, she's still going to be pregnant. She's going to now have to bear, bear that pregnancy alone. And it exposes her to grave danger, not just shame, you know, not just the, the difficulty of a, basically a teenage pregnancy and the presumption of it, it happening through immoral means. I mean, that's hard enough. I mean, we all know young girls who have had to go through that. And that's hard. That's why we support them so much. So here's Mary. If Joseph leaves her, she's exposed to not just that, the weight of that, but also the potential danger that she could be killed because she has committed fornication. So then we hear about this angel that then comes to Joseph. Joseph's ready to bolt, which is probably the right thing to do. I mean, think about it, guys. If you're, right, I mean, you'd be like, I'm out of here. This is not, I, this is, I, it might be God's plan for you, but that's you, it's not me, until it was him. And then the angel comes to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid. This is God's plan. Yes, you had a plan. You and Mary had plans. God has another plan for you. It's not what you wanted. It's certainly not what you asked for. It's not what you bargained for. It's not the easy path. God wants you to take her and protect her and protect her son. And God wants you to raise that son as your own son. Raise him to be a man. Help him to grow in wisdom and knowledge. Teach him to be a little carpenter. But to stand by him. And God is calling you to trust. Trust him. And Joseph wouldn't see the end of that plan. He wouldn't get to see the resurrection in this life, in this world. Certainly he experienced it in some way, but he didn't experience it like Mary did. And Mary was given, of course, a great burden. No doubt there, at some level, it would have been a joy to, to raise Jesus as a child, you would think. Um, you still had to change plenty of diapers, right? But still, it would have been presumably Jesus who didn't sin. So it would have been presumably quite good. However, that great experience of raising him turned into heartache the older he got. And as he began to teach and, and go out into the world and he was accepted by many, he was also rejected by very many. And she would have been hearing it too. You know how that would have worked. Just as Jesus was being rejected, she would be hearing, hey, we've heard this about your son. What's going on? What's wrong with your son? What's the deal? All of the chief priests and the Pharisees are, all the leaders are, are saying there's something wrong with, you know, she's hearing all of that. Of course, she has faith and confidence in her son, but she's living that with him. And then ultimately, living with him, watching him be tortured, beaten and tortured and led to his death. And she stood there and watched him die. 
with only John and Mary Magdalene beside her. She had to watch her son go through this. The, the ask that God makes of Mary and Joseph is heavy indeed. And it led them to much sacrifice, much giving up of their own ideas of what they wanted in life for the sake of listening to God and following him. It led to much suffering as well. It's not what they asked for, but it is what God gave them. And no doubt, they would never go back on that. How much is the same thing true for ourselves? You know, we we make plans in life. We have an idea of how things are going to be when we're younger because that's what you do. But those of you who have been married for, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, the person you married is not the same person now, nor should they be. People change. Marriage, the way you thought it was going to be, didn't turn out that way. Raising children didn't turn out that way. Maybe your marriage ended. Maybe you grow up in a, in a household like that, like I did. Maybe your marriage ended and, and it really didn't turn out the way you thought or the way you wanted Maybe you became a priest. And 23 years after that happened, it's not what I thought it would be. I'm not saying it isn't good, but it's just not what I thought. You know, it it didn't go the way I thought. It never does. It never does. It just never does. But God has his plans. And if we say yes to his plans... We say yes to all of it. We say yes to the goodness and the, and the joys, but we also say yes to the sacrifices and the suffering. We say yes to all of it. It doesn't come without all of it. It didn't come without all of it for the Holy Family, all three of them, and it won't come without that suffering and sacrifice and adversity for ourselves either. Now, All of that being said, we don't have a God who says, okay, just endure that and deal with it. I'm God, you're not, so just put up with it. That's not the kind of God we have. We have a God who says, I will not leave you orphan. I will not leave you on your own. I will not just, you know, sort of save you from a distance, sort of abstractly. I will actually become a human person. I will unite divinity with humanity, the incarnation, the enfleshment of God. I will unite those two together. I will walk among you. I will learn what it's like. As if, I mean, if, as if God didn't know, but there's something about walking as a man, living as a human person, living all of those things except sin that we have to live. Understanding sacrifice. Those of you who are little, Jesus knows what it's like to have to take out the garbage and probably make his bed. He certainly knows what it's like to obey his parents. He had to do it too. He knows what it's like to grow up and to be a teenager. He knows what it's like to to become a young adult. And he knows what it's like to suffer. And he knows what it's like to die. We have a God who knows 
And as the angel tells Joseph today, God tells us again, I am a God who is Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. And we call him Emmanuel because he is with us. No matter what you've been through in life, God is with you. No matter the mistakes you've made, God is with you. No matter how imperfect you are, God is with you. No matter what you think of yourself, if you think you're a horrible person or you you have trouble with self-esteem or anxiety or depression or whatever it is, God is with you. God will always be with you. He will never abandon you. And because he is with us in all of this, and we are with one another in it as well, he is with us in the resurrection so that he doesn't merely give us hardship and difficulty. He gives us perfect, perfect fulfillment in the end. Please stand.